Actually, my parents named me Foreigner. And with our Ricky and the Flash tagline, one of the things I'm really looking forward to in this podcast, Kelly Wand. It's like Sophie's Choice, but with Kevin Klein. <laughs> Kelly Wand, huh. I would think there are a lot of opportunities for various taglines with this movie. Do you have any additional runners-up or, uh, or sort of standby taglines? Backup taglines, if you're opening taglines. It's like Death Becomes Her. <laughs> Good. All right. Is there a third? Because a lot of times these things travel in threes. I like that one very much. Uh, it's like Point Break, but without Meryl Streep. Well, what? it kind of went off the rails there, Kelly. Wong. What? Yeah. That's the best one. one. That's yeah. the best did, thing I've ever written. It did a rail. Hmm. Uh, well, Kelly Wand, instead of the taglines, how about giving us an IMDb plot synopsis, and then Dingus and I will vie to see who can guess it first. Tom's disappointed. Mm. Well, moving on. Um, and, mm. Kelly Wand, I want you to keep in mind, that's going to be a theme for this pod, the first half of this podcast. There's some umming, you know. serious umming coming up. It's going to be an umfest. Yeah. You know, it might be an um off. I hope you're ready. Let's do it. Uh, okay, name this movie. That's mm-hmm. your hint. Mm-hmm. Details the efforts of a pop rock star. I don't even know if I can read this one. It's too funny. Wait, I don't even understand how, what this sentence construction is. Dingus, that's how IMDb plot synopses work. Yeah, they I make their own rules. I don't know if you're, this is your first rodeo, Dingus, but that's that's kind of par for the course. Yeah, and you got to give them credit. They're cutting out the words we don't care about. Right. So this might actually be the few way things are written in the future, Dingus. Details the efforts of a pop rock star, parentheses, James Roberts and the actor's name, to win the love of a woman he meets in a car accident. <laughs> None of the usual gambits work on this woman, who has never heard of him. Complications arise involving the ex-girlfriend, Nikki, who is still in his band. Lots of Springfield tunes help the plot along. Oh, my God, I don't know this one. Dingus, why haven't you jumped in? This what? sounds like it's right up your alley. Is it light of day? No, that's a good guess. You're thinking way too highbrow, though. Oh, sorry. That's your hint. I don't, you know, there's no apology required. By the way, I love any, any IMDb plot synopsis that points out that complications arise. I'm down yeah. with that. That's, a, that's an important thing to point out in any synopsis. <laughs> I like it when it says the music helps the plot along. Like, the plot needs a lot of help. So I, I agree with the use plot. music. Like, Strata Compton, probably. Huh, you so guys do, don't know this. No. So uh, I, I You guys haven't been stumped in months, ever, maybe. Yeah. So what did you stump us with? What was that? Okay, I'll add the actor's name. Okay. Uh, details the efforts of a pop rock star, parentheses, James Roberts, slash Rick Springfield. Rick Springfield is not in any movies, Kelly He's Warren. in one Everybody movie. Everybody knows that. Oh, yeah, he I is. remember the name of it, even though I didn't see it, because I just go, Oh, oh I can't remember those kind of that silly movie. Rick Springfield has never been uh, in I don't General know what Hospital. you guys are yeah. I didn't even see it because it was bad. Um, hard to hold. Oh, hard to hold, of That's course. That's the name of a movie? It sounds like the yeah. name of a Rick Springfield song. I just assumed it was. Spoiler alert. Huh, all right. 
Well, Hard to hold, Tom. You know, the classic 80s uh, ballad. Power it sounds home. like a movie about Keanu Reeves trying to outrace a, a nuclear blast on a motorcycle while <laughs> made out of water. Old fusion. In an, in an ice cream truck. In an ice cream truck, yeah. Hard to hold. That, that, could, be, that could be a cop thriller with, like, Billy Crystal and uh, Jan Michael Vincent. That could be anything. Hard to hold. I mean, ugh. Was that it hard to hold the name? We were talking earlier today about uh, he was mentioning something about where his kid went to a birthday party where they could play with like wax. There was like a cart that was letting the kids play with wax. And I made a joke. Is it like that scene with Madonna and Willem Dafoe in that movie? And we couldn't think of the name of the movie. That movie could have been called Hard to Hold. Or Hold Too Hard. The name of that movie. We decided it was something like uh, Indecent Evidence. It was some. It's called, yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. It's like third, third surprise witness or something. Yeah, but it's famous for the uh, the hot drippy wax scene with uh, on Willem Dafoe's chest. Yeah, which sounds horrible. He's already skull faced enough. Kelly, want don't talk it. I don't want to mix wax and skulls in a romantic movie. <laughs> I see. Right. On just the wrong genre. Just if you're building an altar, go for it. Wax and skulls, they go together just fine. Yeah. If it's Platoon 2, then yeah, with Madonna, I'll, then right. the wax makes sense. All right, well, Dingus, speaking of making Fruit. sense, why don't you explain to the listeners what Kelly Wan subjected us to this week because he's traveling and our choices were limited for what we could see for the podcast. All right. Well, this week we saw Ricky and The Flash. Hmm. A 2015 American comedy drama music movie about the toll the high-octane rock and roll scene in Tarzana takes on your hair and your family. Uh, it was directed by Jonathan Demme and written by Diablo Cody. Yeah. It stars... Hey, can I change my third tagline to, it's like straight out of Compton, but for white people? Done. It stars... Sorry. It stars Audra McDonald and Rick Springfield. Uh, Ricky and the Flash is rated PG-13 for thematic material. Apparently also uh, nail guns. <laughs> Brief drug content, sexuality, and language. Movie obviously should have been rated R, I feel, and I'm sure Kelly Wand is with me on that point. Oh, yeah, it's super hard R. Uh, Ricky the Flash on Metacritic is at 54. That's the average rating from various reviews. That's too uh, fucking high. Well, what do you think of this, Kelly? One on Rotten Tomatoes, 63% of the reviews are positive. What do you think of that? <laughs> That's Wait, fine. For, for what movie? I agree with that number. For this movie? Yeah. For Ricky and the Flash, 62% on Rotten Tomatoes. As for how much movie uh, money this movie made, I didn't look that up and don't care. Uh, Kelly Wand... Why don't you give us a plot synopsis of the events that happen in the movie Ricky and the Flash? <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, Kelly Wan, would you call such a thing uh, Rickyopsis and the Flopsis? Wow, that's a great guess, Tom. Dingus, did you like Tom's guess much? Uh, I liked your pause most of all. Oh, I thought you guys heard the toilet flush. Mm. Ricky and the Flash. Wait, when we went to the movie, you mean? <laughs> you all right? You're spoiling your surprise that you whether you like the movie or not. We're not. It's a surprise. We don't know yet. Maybe we all liked it. Jesus. I mean, Ricky and the Flapsis. 
Meryl Streep lived during the 80s, so now she wears boots. She sings in a band named after what she arbitrarily prefers to call herself. John Hawks is the guitarist, and Davy Jones plays the smiling drums. There's a bassist. A black guy plays flute. He smiles also, although the only band member who ever gets to do solos is Meryl. The first scene of the movie, the band plays Earth, Wind, and Fire while Meryl sings the theme from Airwolf. The comedy portion of the band's act involves her sexually rejecting the guitarist. For fun, I pretend it's a sequel to Postcards from the Edge and a prequel to Ironweed. <laughs> I lean over to Jack Nicholson and intone. I know Ironweed's supposed to be set in the 20s, but maybe they meant the 2020s. It's not like we have Ironweed yet. Jack tells me I'm breaking his concentration and distracting him and tears a blank sheet of paper in half. Speaking of best stunts, while the band's playing something by Wham and Merrill's singing 1940s music, John Hawks makes everybody stop playing to tell the audience, hey, if I could uh, bring the house down, uh, I know dating someone in your band is considered kind of a Van Nuys thing. One guy's all, boo! <laughs> But whatever terminology means, it sure is this next song. He starts playing some Keith Sweat. <laughs> Kevin Sweat? Kevin Klein. Keith Sweat. Got it. Meryl's all, uh, yeah, smoking weed off screen so Tom can see this movie with a 13-year-old is not called dating. <laughs> the one guy's all, boo. Hawks is all, but I love you. By the way, my son's on acid tonight. Say hey, Kenny. The booing guy doesn't say anything. Meryl re-grabs the microphone and goes, My name's Ricky versus The Flash, and these people are my band! The booing guy doesn't say anything. The band sings Hard to Hold while the bartender nods his head. That means he's gay. <laughs> Meryl gets... <laughs> That's his setup. Everybody knows it's just a cultural... Meryl gets mail from Indianapolis. John Hawks is all... It's probably a telemarketer. I guess they're not close enough for him to know she has kids yet. Kevin Klein's letters all. Hey, our daughter got dumped and tried to kill herself. I know it's been 30 years since we last spoke, but come and give her a makeover. Oh, yeah, there have been a couple weddings, and what's-his-name's gay. Also, I can't cover your plane ticket. <laughs> she raises her head from the letter in slow motion. I look over at Abe Vigoda and go, that means she read most of it. For some reason, she brings her guitar and 300 pounds of rock singer jewelry with her to Indianapolis to cheer up the daughter who tests her in her rock star lifestyle. By mischance, there aren't any other musicians in the security line that day. Kevin Klein opens a mansion door and goes, oh, you're here. Uh, my wife's I don't know why that line's funny to me. It's a lonely feeling. Except for you and Dingus. My wife's off looking at somebody with something. She's all that short for something. He's all, no, it's not. Here, I'll go get our daughter Mildred while you wander around and steal the Staffordshires and cackle just like old times. He walks off screen. 
Meryl Streep wanders around, steals some dust, opens a freezer, finds a bag of celery, and cackles at it. There's an awkward dinner and some awkward haircutting. The dog likes her. <laughs> Sigma. Sigma likes Meryl because she smells like bones. <laughs> Agreed. We learn Meryl's a homophobe and voted for Bush both times. Boy, will rich people like her later. There's a car. I wrote this longhand. <laughs> Can't read my fucking writing. That's what I wrote here. There's a car with too many stickers on it. God damn it. They see a car with too many stickers on it and go into a restaurant to harass a family. Meryl Streep's all Listen mom of the family Your car should have two dog stickers On the back of your fanda mm-hmm. The ex-husband's all Snap eating with them. You have to see the movie to get that Boy, That's good Meryl's family leaves When they get home they smoke Kevin Klein's celery And Meryl plays a song called Coldplay By slapping her guitar nut like the dude and Martha May Marcy Marlowe. Everyone smiles fondly at the neck. The suicidal daughters all. Let's talk about Meryl Streep's character's backstory mostly. This makes everybody <laughs> sleepy. When Meryl Streep wakes up, there's a black lady in the kitchen. Kevin Klein's all. Hey, you got to try this character's pancakes. They're the best. And so is her dairy creamer. It's like I married someone just to cook for me. <laughs> To the black lady, Meryl Zoll. I thought you were boring a sick person who you're related to. And the new lady Zoll. Yeah, I got sick of that shit. Mm-hmm. So I came back here to be with my family. Meryl Streep Zoll. Uh, your mom is your family. The black lady Zoll. Hey, can we fight in the attic for a second? Oh, yeah, this is much more awkward. Look, I know you mean occasionally well, but our suicide daughter, <laughs> our suicidal daughter who news hair. Fuck. Who wrote this shit? You can say it, George, but you can't write it. Wait, we can pick that up. But our suicidal daughter's new hair isn't that great. Also, you smoked all my marijuana. Henceforth, get out. <laughs> Meryl's all, oh, yeah, well, guess what? Kevin Klein's still in love with my band. The black lady's all, well, looks like you have two dog stickers. Meryl cries and goes home. She gets on stage, and while the band plays Whip It, while well, to their mild relief, she <laughs> sings Yellow Submarine. She stops and goes, you know who's got it easy? Men, because a black lady hurt my feelings. <laughs> the portly lady nods. She used to be a man. <laughs> we had it easy. That was Vomit, by the way. She wasn't like just mugging. Oscar winning actress. Meryl gets mail from the black lady saying, wait, come back again. There's a wedding tomorrow. <laughs> so she goes back. The wedding, Grandma Irene's all, I always knew I liked you because you voted for Bush. I'd have left my son, too. Those lips. You know what I mean. <laughs> Ricky's all, yes. Grandma Irene's all, I don't like that new wife. Not because she's black, but because I've only known her a few weeks. I hate people like that. That I've only known a few weeks. Fucking assholes. Ricky Zoll. Well, don't worry. I really stuck it to her with a zinger earlier about her husband. 
That's man's all. Boo! Um, <laughs> Meryl sings a song at the wedding that 1% of the crowd is not into at all, but everybody else is healed, since the banana guitar sounds like the same as the old one. I look over at Megan Fox and go, every movie about a happy family is the same, but every movie about a dysfunctional family is annoying in its own way. She's all, yes, the end, rush job. Oh, man. Thank you so much. Really? Just, okay, good. I just hate that we've, we've lost, you know, we've lost a national treasure to, to Germany, Kelly Wand. I'm Diablo so Cody? We should lose Diablo Cody to Germany. We should yeah. be so lucky. Can you do a Freaky Friday with Diablo Cody, please? <sighs> Hell yeah. Right after the Rusty uh, Sanchez. All right, enough. So, so, is that, any of you going to go to bat for this? Like this, there's no. What? I, I mean, this is one of these rare movies that I would say I'm pretty sure there's pretty much no redeeming value in this thing. No, no, it, it's it's. It, 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 I absolutely hate it. No, there's nothing to. There's nothing. Here's here's my assertion about the movie. I want to challenge you guys to to come up with something. I have three answers to this question, and and they're all desperate grabbing at straws. Is there a single authentic moment? or interchange, or reaction, or character. Is there anything authentic in this movie? And I'm not being, I mean, there are funny responses to that, but I, I seriously can come up with three things. They're all desperate grabs at something. This movie is so continuously just false and facile and contrived. Yeah, and fabricated. So fabricated. And I just found it, I mean, not offensive, because isn't it, but, but just, just terrible. Just awful, right? And studio-y, too. Like, it's not even like... Like, I mean, there's some cool movies about weird families. Well, I, Jonathan Demme's Rachel Getting Married. I mean, that was part of my hope going into yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, me too. Is that Jonathan Demme, you know, he's come a long way since Something Wild, and that's fine. He's not that same director. But this is the guy that did Rachel Getting Married. How does he do this, Pap? And you know what? It's Diablo Cody, I bet. I yeah, mean, what of a course horrible script. Not even Meryl Streep can do anything with this. Dingus, you're our Meryl Streep champion. How was she in this movie? She was terrible in it. I, mean, I know. What's up with that? It's she, not on she her. Was terrible. Everybody looks like a cadaver until Audra McDonald shows up. I mean, it's it's that's that's one of my three authentic things. Dingus is her smile, and Audra McDonald. I don't yeah, think it's exactly. even that good because that and one. And that, when you that, said that, the first thing I thought of was her. I mean, yeah. Well, I, I would smile. Even she actually yeah. she's the one person who doesn't seem like a cadaver. I mean, yeah, she's a beautiful lady. I don't know who she is. I've never seen her before, but her smile was just radiant. And I, I didn't care for her performance. Like th that whole stepmom versus real mom showdown just was like Kelly once. It just so fabricated and contrived and it didn't feel authentic. But Audra McDonald, when she would smile, I'd be like, yeah, that's awesome. I want to see that. Yeah. Um, I, I saw her once just, on stage huh. um, in this uh, show called um, – it, it looks like it's going to be called um, Mahogany, but it's actually pronounced Mahogany. Um and she's really good. I mean, she's a really good actress. Uh, she's been in a lot of TV stuff and that kind of thing. Um, but it was a pleasure to see her show up here because at least you felt a spark of life in the movie. And otherwise, it's just, just no life. Yeah. Kelly Wand, do I you liked... have any? Yes, go ahead. Oh, Kelly Wand liked something. Yes, Kelly Wand, what do you got? Um, I liked the Bruce Lee guy. I thought that guy was funny. Bruce Lee? Oh, oh, that's, oh, my God. Even that that's, moment. That's a little funny. No, I, no, I disagree. I mean, I... 
Well, I don't know. It's offensive. You like Sarah Tom? I was kidding. She voted for Bush. Well, I have no, I have no idea what they're doing with with her with her politics. Well, why, why? I know she's supposed to be a rock star. Why would she vote for? And then she, I supported the troops. What? And like, then just wait, and what? then to mess around with her politics as far as that Bruce Lee thing. I don't get it. Well, I kind of like the idea of you know going again. You know, Diablo Cody basically is making one of these these cookie cutter movies yeah. about how enlightened. Um, creative people are and how uptight people in the Midwest mm-hmm. are. I mean, that, that's what's yeah. going on for the most part. But I kind of yeah. like this idea that Diablo Cody is trying to create a story about a conservative character. Unfortunately, right. she doesn't take advantage of it. It's just a brief reveal. It makes no sense. You know, no. I kind of like that they put that tattoo on her back. Um, but it, it, it just didn't – it made no sense. You know, a conservative rocker in Southern California with that many tattoos, wearing that much mascara – Playing that kind of classic rock yeah. is really dumb to try to endear herself to the crowd with anti-Obama comments. Like that made no Especially, sense. It's not just anti-Obama comments, but she's actively alienating her keyboardist, and he's right, just right. like smiling like yeah. an Uncle Tom. And, and that's why I didn't think that Bruce Lee thing was really funny. I was like, do you know, you know, do you know who Bruce Lee is? You look just like him. I was like, what? Ooh, that's kind of cringy. So she's super racist. Well, I think at that point we're. Su- like, isn't this supposed to be, like, her redemption part of the movie? That's the thing. Diablo Cody's such a shitty writer. At the beginning, she doesn't – there's nothing in Meryl's past that really connects with that character we see at the right. beginning of the movie. We don't even know if she's on drugs or not or how much or, like, anything. Like, there's – we're giving nothing. That's she, a, there's yeah. nothing to redeem her from. I mean, this character was, I, I thought, just incredibly pathetic without even yeah. touching on this idea of, it, you know, does she drink a lot? Is she into drugs? Like what? Right. And I mean, that's part of the rocker lifestyle. Why don't we touch on that or whatever? We're just going to ignore But the that. second she gets home, she like connects with her kids instantly. Like it, you have no idea like why she would. Oh, yeah, I have these people in my life. It just happens so fast. No, I hate movies like this. I hate them so much. It's the worst of its kind. I, I is it worse? The only other positive thing I would say about it is that I really did like Rick Springfield a lot. Really? Because even him, Dingus, I was like, like his whole uh, "Do you really love me?" scene. I was like, "Oh God, he's whiffing. Like it's not working." Um, it's a thankless role. I, here's what. Here's one of my other authentic things. It's a thankless role. I didn't think he was up to it. Um, I thought everybody was pretty terrible in this and was doing a different kind of movie. Like Kevin Klein. What? What are you? Are you I still blame Diablo. He's I mean, the writer. Klein. What is Kevin Klein doing? But, but even even Rick Springfield, because I I I had kind of heard that there was some press about, hey, we got Rick Springfield in this movie and he's really good in it, and I, I didn't think he was good at all. I mean, one of my authentic things, uh, Rick Springfield can pull off wearing a vest without a shirt. Yeah, yeah. He looked good, but uh, I mean, what? That's something I have in common with him. <laughs> Kelly, why not? Yeah, I think that's a good look for you, definitely. Yeah. Um, but like Kevin Klein. His character makes no he makes his little sense like why would they have been married why would they ever have been into each other why does he have on his freezer he would never uh, well there's just no and, and that's no connection with him and Meryl Streep and they're both good actors why are they not connecting like what because Diablo Cody sucks ass you're probably right but I, here's the thing and I'm gonna go ahead and mention my over um Diablo Cody's young adult script is similarly facile, you know, the standard like midlife crisis, the woman goes home again, she sneers at how she's way more advanced than everyone else, she maybe has a redemptive moment, whatever, but I think Charlize Theron really does a lot to elevate Diablo Cody's material in young adults, um, or at least to, to stand above it. And I'm, I'm really surprised that nobody is able to pull themselves out of the muck of this terrible script. And maybe it's just the script is just so much worse than young adults. Um, That's really actually a stunning 
I, I didn't even think of young, young adult, and that's actually a stunning statement because you're right. Um, she does manage to bring that material up, and Meryl Streep does not. And Meryl Streep's my favorite actor, period. Uh, and this is embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. And well, it, I, I don't get it. I don't get why you do this. Um, I mean, I heard, I just heard Diablo Cody on a podcast talking about meeting with Meryl Streep in a, in a, in a bar in Tarzana and taking her around to talk to her and, and Meryl Streep saying, you know, treating this meeting like, yeah, we're going to do this and this is this is a scheduling meeting. It's not you having to pitch to me. I read the script and I love it. Um, this is really terrible. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I don't get anything about why this movie got made. Um, there's, and I, you know, I expected the movie to be much more about rock and roll and a lot of music yeah. and sort yeah. of anthematic in some ways. Yeah. And instead, we just get mired in this terrible, uh, like, August Osage County crap that just, I mean, that that. Wait, Dingus, theme, you sound like, have you seen, are you, are you casting aspersions on August Osage County? Is that but, awful? Well, well, I've seen enough bits of it to know that these moments where we have these terrible scenes at a family dinner table but it's in a restaurant it's it's what the because i I still wanted to see that because it's a tracy let's play isn't it 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 is but it's no i mean wait did i forget to do the joke in the office where the daughter hears somehow hears what uh, meryl streep talk the shit to the mom all the way across the restaurant and through a closed window and then she like she has a reaction take to like the dog sticker line uh I don't remember oh you did, you did the joke about Kevin Klein saying oh snap that was your joke no that was the other ex-husband saying snap oh I thought it was that ex there are two ex-husbands in that scene so you can't blame me for getting confused true but the daughter does hear that all that speech from outside and, uh, and nods. Well, can it's I the third slow you? nod of the movie. Can you I know the daughter. You? The daughter is her daughter, right? Oh my God, is that true? Because the moment she comes clambering down the stairs, I was like, my God, it's Getty Lee. Uh, that that <laughs> woman, that actress, is really Meryl Streep's daughter. Yeah, that's Meryl Streep's daughter. Oh my God! Uh, wow, dang wow. It's Ouch! It's her a vanity project. Her name is Mamie Gummer. Um, she's been in a. She's been in plenty of other things. Um, she, all she does, her main, her main ability seen? is to look stricken. What'd you say? Is there anything we would have seen her in? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's mainly TV stuff. Okay, exactly. Um, but yeah, she's she's Meryl Streep's daughter, but she's named after um, uh, Meryl Streep's husband's right. last name. So, right. yeah. Huh. Well, that certainly puts a cloud over things. Can I uh, challenge you guys to a contest? You guys have to vie against each other. It's kind of like the synopsis thing. We've done these before. Uh, Wait, before you do this, can I just ask, why was Bill Irwin in that scene? I know, right? <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, we're going to have Bill Irwin here. Oh, no, we're not. Uh, yeah, so they could get in a journey joke? Like, what? What? Yeah, why was he in that thing? And it was a completely, I mean, that's what, at the moment in the movie where I thought, this is a Robert Zemeckis movie, or or even worse, uh, who's Gary the guy Marshall. who makes Gary Marshall? It's a Gary Marshall movie. He's like, I'm trying to have a moment with my daughter, and now I'm going to leave. I mean, what? Wishes it was in Gary Marshall. Why is Bill Irwin doing that? What? How did that happen? He just wanted to work with Meryl Streep, Dingus. <sighs> All right. Anyway, go ahead, Tom. Let's do the contest. Okay. I'm going to give you guys a line, and you tell me if it's good writing or bad writing. Mm. And then whoever scores the most points wins the contest. All right. We're going to start. I lost last time. 
Um, I think so, Kelly Wand. Um, so, Dingus, as the reigning champion, we're going to start with you. I'm going to give you a line from this movie. You tell me if it's good writing or bad writing. Okay, here we go. A heart is like a Big Mac. What do you say, Dingus? That, that would be bad writing. Dingus, you very good. Wait, what? Yep. You, oh, you give Dingus the softball. Okay, well, Kelly Wand, here's one for you. Ready? It looks like Roger Daltrey's eyes from Tommy. Is that a good writing or an example of bad writing, Kelly Juan? Uh, it's good writing. Nope. It's bad writing because you don't need to point out from Tommy. Just say Roger Daltrey's eyes. Roger Daltrey's eyes and Tommy are no different than Roger Daltrey's eyes in any other picture, of, in color picture, of Roger Daltrey. Bad writing. Sorry, Kelly Wand. Dingus, you were in the lead. Here's your next one. How did you meet the groom? Cesarean section. Dingus, is that good writing or bad writing? It's bad. Yes, Dingus. All right, Dingus is in the lead with two points. Kelly Wan, this one's worth double. Here's your chance to tie it up. I don't mean do you love me the way Wendy loves the Lost Boys. Uh, Kelly Wan, is that good writing or bad writing? Terrible. Kelly Wan, you're right. It is now tied. Dingus, to win the contest, it's a tie score for one point. Is this line good writing or bad writing? Rubbermaid is a very successful company. No. Dingus, you're wrong. That was good. I laughed at that. I like No, Dingus that. is right. No, it was good writing. Dingus, I'm sorry you lose. It was very close. But I, it led to a terrible scene where they're, where they're downstairs, like, opening the rubber. Oh, right, right, Somebody good, smells it. Yeah. Good point, Dingus. The fact that they actually pulled the Rubbermaid out was bad writing. But that actual line, if they had stopped there, that would have been good. Why would he stoned. say that, though? That's, that's out of character. Stoned, because he's stoned. That's why he's stoned. Rubbermaid's a good campaign. Yeah. We never, never see them get stoned. It's like Peter Dinklage saying right. uh, uh, that, that line about uh, blim, that line about horses or whatever when he's getting stoned with Bobby Cannavale and Patricia Clarkson. How dare stoned. you? How dare you reference that right now? It's just people yeah. getting stoned to say things out of character. I'm sorry. So Rubbermaid's a good... You don't know what stone... That, that to you is something, a funny stoner line? That's Rubbermaid's a good company? That's character stoned would say. Yeah, I'm gonna. You know what? You're not getting stone right. <laughs> you're just they like aren't either because you never see them do anything. You I will right as far as I the don't. authenticity of yeah that whole that whole did you ever want to touch me? Oh my god, what a clunker of a moment! Or that did uh, you want to touch me? I was like, I mean, to their credit, just at that moment, but it was still plenty awkward and clumsy and inauthentic. Uh, no, it was did you just want to touch me? Right, right. Uh, let's see. I actually wrote it down. Did you just wait? Yeah, I think Dingus. I think he got it right. That's how I wrote this. Did you just want to wait? Me? Like that's what she says when he puts it, when he's actually touched her. Like he's put his head in her lap, and she says, yeah. "Did you just want to touch me?" Uh, like why'd you do that? But Dingus thought the line was, "Did you ever want to? Did you ever?" I don't know. Me? I don't know what it was. I just remember what, what's his head doing down there? What's he doing? Right, it did look Nothing. like oh, he's going for some quick oral set. Like it, it was awkward. Yeah, it's weird. Who, yeah. Is he, is he sniffing around? I thought it was about to get good for a second. <laughs> even, even by the way, the title card that said Wedding Day, Indianapolis, India, that felt inauthentic. You know, why was yeah. it bright red in that font? I was like, even the title cards in this are, are just feel wrong. There's also no stakes at that. Like, why is it saying Wedding Day? Like, oh, it's good. shit's going to go down. It's like she's going to go to an event, and that's it. And that's kind of what happens. Well, but Kelly Wong, we don't know that there's going to be a literal showstopper uh, when her band comes out onto the yeah. stage. The reveal of the band, I guess his Gibson SG Man, was able to be. finance them all flying. Did you notice, Dingus, they even flew out the gay bartender? He yeah, really I didn't has, notice that. Yeah, they they got that kid who I recognized from Pitch Perfect, the Pitch Perfect movies, by the way. They, they a huge waste of money. They bartender out. Yeah, with that. How kid. much was that guitar worth? 
thousands. Yeah. Wait, why'd you? Why? What happened to your guitar? You have the banana one. He has two guitars. Never mind. He has I'm a ton of guitars. Guitars have about. a ton of guitars. He just doesn't like the way the banana one sounds. I mean, the Gibson, the Gibson HG, that 1968 Gibson, is a big time guitar. I mean, that's a big deal. It was a big deal. Yeah, they didn't need to, to bring that. the bartender. Like, there's like, it's someone else's wedding, and she's bringing her bartender to the wedding. If I'm someone sure did that he in real life, himself out. Kelly, Kelly uh, Wine, she she RSVP'd with a plus seven. You can do that when you get a wedding invitation. I'm gonna do a musical number by the way. No matter what this, the spread is or like where the band is, I'm gonna have, have have them bring musicians, and then the other guys will leave on cue, and we'll be able to use the equipment that's already up there without tuning up, and hopefully the entire crowd that was invited won't feel bad by all this shit. That's such a shit. I hate. The, Did you guys like? Because it's like I hated the Charlize Theron movie, huh? Did you guys like any of the musical numbers? So that was the other, the third authentic thing. So Audra McDonald's smile, uh, Rick Springfield being able to pull off the vest with no shirt, and uh, how uh, loud and distorted and terrible the music sounded, uh, I felt was very authentic. Yeah. It did not feel like it was studio recorded, I guess to its credit, but no, I didn't care for any of the music. I mean, did you think it's like, I don't even, I don't have an ear for this, but I didn't even get the sense that Meryl Streep was a good singer or even cared that much about the You the know songs. what? I was. This is uh, for my over. I picked postcards uh, from the edge because I actually think she's kind of sings good in it, and like that's a real that like that to me is a way better Meryl Streep with issues singing movie than this. But like, I think she can carry a tune. So were they just intentionally trying to make her sound like rough and amateurish, or Dingus? How did you feel about her the music in this? Uh, I thought it was pretty rough. I, I mean, I haven't seen Mamma Mia. I don't know that I've heard her sing. Um, I thought it was fine, but the, what, what's embarrassing about it from the get-go is is the first cover, and they, she only does covers until she does the uh, cold whatever. Which, which, by the way, got a credit in the opening credits, that one song, yeah. Right. So the first song she does is American Girl with Tom Petty, which is from, which is a famously from Silence of the Lambs, which is Jonathan Demme's most famous movie. Uh, um, so, uh, that's why he chooses it, and 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 at that moment, as much as I love that song, I just was like, oh my god, this is a this is embarrassing. They had any project? Well, my my problem with the music was more. Um, so here's this character, and we're supposed to believe that this is her. You know, as she says, it's my dream, man. Uh, that this is what she's passionate about, and this is what she's abandoned her family and chased. Right. And that this right. is what drives her, and. You would think in a movie about this character, there would be a sense that during the music, she is transported or there's something transformative or, or important right. to her. Right. And my, my touchstone for these kinds of scenes uh, is a John Sayles movie called Limbo, where mm-hmm. Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio sings, uh, and she's amazing in that. Uh, an actress named Jill Hennessy in a movie called Roadie, when she finally whips out a guitar, it's beautiful. Oh, good um, call. And and there's you know why can't Meryl Streep do something like that? Like it seems like also Jonathan Demme would want that to be a feature of this character. Well, I think that's kind of a point. I think that that it isn't fulfilling to her, and and I mean her life is basically empty. And hey. the problem for me is that when she goes back to her family, it's a cartoon instead of it being a a, a family that should basically be just a normal family instead of like oh there's the gay kid there's the right. weird kid there, there's the there's the suicidal daughter i mean it's it's a it's this weird t- television family that she returns to from hollywood 
And that just makes this fact that she brings this, you know, that that's her wedding gift, the music, like, it just makes it all the more facile. Like, if it's not that important to her, if it's something that she's not that good at, you know, how is she winning over the crowd? How is that well, much of a gift? And the, the movie wants us to think this is a cool thing she's doing. It's supposed uh, to be a redemptive moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's not just a singer. She's a composer. And when she gets big, she plays a song that's super good. And then she plays it at the end, too, that she wrote herself because she's a prodigy. So she's doing all these other cover songs of other artists just because she knows. I thought she just did covers at the end. I may be misremembering. No, the the Coldplay song. When they get no, she, does, she does her cold song at the end. She does do that? Yeah. yeah. Oh. So she, most, she, most, of it's, most of it's covers. Most of the stuff she does is covers. It's all she does the her. Springsteen song, and then I guess I just tuned out. I, I, I like She opens with the Springsteen song, uh, which I did. And she's with Springfield. Right, there you go. Well, I just couldn't. You know, at that point, if you're going to crash your, your son's wedding and fuck it up, then... I know. If you're... Yeah. They're not even bothering. What I would have wanted to happen is the, is for a suicide daughter just to walk out, just to be like, oh fuck this. Whole no, Dingus, she's going to get up there on stage happen. and sing with her. Yeah. it's going to be beautiful. All her kids are up there singing with her, Dingus. Yeah, just, Dingus, if you grow them, you know them. Oh Jesus! <laughs> Ew! What? That's what Rick Springfield said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Their their banter about kids is. I don't know what Diablo Cody thinks about children or parenting, but oh my god. Nothing, apparently. Well, but so by the way, this is my under is I thought this movie was slightly better than another movie where the parenting lessons in this other movie offended me. Uh, this movie is slightly better than Spanglish. So I, I bracketed this better than Spanglish, worse than young adult. And, and to barely be better than Spanglish, that's that's quite an accomplishment. Spanglish is truly wretched. Uh, all right. So other over unders. Uh, Kelly, what did you say your over was? You mentioned it. Uh, my under was postcards, postcards from, from the edge. edge. What's your under? My under was the Charlize Theron one, but now you get you're making me have want to rethink it. Because so Charlize, Charlize Theron, Theron is so good. There, there's even I saw a movie recently called Dark Places, which is based on um, what's her name? Gillian Flynn is that the woman who wrote Gone Girl? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she yeah. wrote another uh, novel about uh, the survivor of a mass murder. Uh, like her family's killed when she's a little girl, and her brother is convicted for doing it. Um, and then she grows up uh, basically living off of charitable donations that she gets because the story got a lot of national coverage. Uh, and so Nicholas Holt, I think it is, comes to her and is like, hey, come talk to our murder club. You know, we want to know what it was like for you. Uh, we'll pay you. Um, and it, it becomes a stupid contrived thriller about, hey, what really happened that day? And it, it's just terrible in some of the same ways that I thought Gone Girl was terrible, but without the David Fincher uh, uh, directorial prowess. Um, but the cool thing about Dark Places, Charlize Theron is so good, even when she's given crappy material. So I, 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 I mean, I, I know you, I, I'm with you on how crappy young adult is, but she, I mean, Charlize Theron is, you know, she just elevates pretty much anything she's in. Like, what, what has she been in that she's terrible? I don't know. Maybe something, but I don't know. Charlize, um, I don't think she's been in something. Where, I don't know. I mean, like phoning it in. Like I just, she's so. There's got to be something out there. I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking of the hits, the things I'm really remembering how good she is, and right. we're all still buzzing off of Fury Road. So, but yeah, Young Adult, I, I think is. It, I only saw it the once when we did it for the podcast, but I would watch Young Adult again because of Charlize Theron. I don't hate it like you, Kelly Wand. She's always good. Is she good in Prometheus though? 
Oh, Kelly Wan, you might have. Yeah, good point. I don't think anybody could have been good in Prometheus. Nobody really knew what they were doing there. That's a good point. Well, you know what? Michael Fassbender was kind of interesting to watch. But all right. Good and the alien head was awesome. Yeah. Uh, Dingus, what are your overs and unders for Ricky and the Flash? All right. So my under would be the hours, just based on um, just this sort of weird dysfunction and the facile use of suicide um, in a movie, which I really hate that. I hate it just when we're just going to use that as a shortcut to to tell, you know, something about a character. Um, and so for my over, and this is a movie I really don't like, but I'm bracketing it, uh, I would put the over at Little Miss Sunshine. But there are things I like about Little Miss Sunshine um, that I can at least point to. Uh, I love, um, I, I like a lot of what Paul Dano is doing. Um, but by and large, I find it a pretty offensive movie and, and uh, but just barely above this one. Kelly, can you can you believe how mean Dingus is being to uh, poor little Abigail Breslin? Yeah, why does he hate women? Well, she was a girl. Yeah. You know, she's she said to endure a lot, and I think among the things she said to endure, Dingus is Little Miss Sunshine. So fair point. Right, but I think she was just uh, you know hanging fire until she got to be put in a trunk. Kelly Wand, uh, surely you, you uh, managed to wring some life lesson from Ricky and the Flash. What, what would that have been? Um, <clears throat> my women commit suicide when I don't dump them. One, two, three. La. 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 One, two, three. None of you guys is going to go to bat for Ricky and the Flash. Well, so is that sad. our job? I'll go to bat for Gone Girl. Look at that. You saw it? Fuck yeah. I told you to see it, and you laughed at me. Now you can laugh at me having seen it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Right. Diggis didn't see it. He got talked. I wanted Diggis' opinion. He can slip. Ah, he'd hate it. Did you guys watch it together? Diggis didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, Diggis, he didn't he still like hasn't seen it, yeah. No. Tom, I thought the first half was really bad, and then I thought the second half of Gone Girl, I thought it was good. I liked Kim Dickens in Gone Girl. She was great in that. I liked that they gave her a different kind of part. Um, you didn't like Emily? Emily Dickens was not in Gone Girl. You're thinking oh. of uh, being John Malkovich. <laughs> all right, this week's 3 by 3 First of all, man, did I screw up last week. I blew it last week. Um, what are you talking about? In introducing this week's 3 by 3 of our favorite stunts, I was talking about the helicopter work in a, a really crappy 70s movie called Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. No, mm. Dirty Ma- Dirty Mary, yeah, Crazy right. Larry. Yeah, that's right. No, I forget. Yeah. Dirty, yeah, awesome. yeah. Mary is dirty, Larry is crazy. Right. Um, at any rate, uh, there's, there's this great helicopter work at the end, which is really striking when you watch it because this is before – like James Cameron in Terminator 2, all that helicopter stuff. The helicopter's just on a crane, and they digitize it out, whatever. But in Dirty Mary Crazy Larry, the helicopter's actually flying right above a car down this orange grove with all these, like, telephone wires around, and it's really amazing stunt work. Um, and what I forgot, and part of what makes it so chilling, um, it's not Warren Oates in the helicopter cockpit. It's freaking Vic Morrow, which, oh, you know, with... That is just chilling. I know, and it really is. And you're you're watching this scene where this helicopter is doing incredibly perilous flying, and Vic Morrow, there's no faking this, is there in the cockpit, and you can't help but think what finally happened to Vic Morrow when John Landis was shooting a Twilight Zone movie. 
helicopter landed on him, basically decapitated him and, and a couple of children. It was, just, it was just one of those horrible instances of a terrible tragedy happening during filming. Um, and, I, you know, you can't help but think of that when you're watching Dirty Mary Crazy Larry, and it's part of what makes that stunt so startling. Um, so last Robert Shaw didn't die in a blimp, though, right? Last week, me misremembering that it was Warren Oates is kind of burying the lead, and just how did I gloss over that? No, no, nor was he swallowed by a shark, by the way, that we want, just in case you're wondering. So at any rate, what I want from you guys, this week's topic, uh, is your favorite stunts in movies. Um, and uh, we will start with Dingus, who is introducing next week's topic at the end of this segment. So Dingus, why don't you start us off with your third favorite stunt from a movie? All right, here's a bit of dialogue from it. Airtime. Airtime? Uh, so this is from a movie called Night and Day. Um, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did some movie. I can't remember. It was a Tom Cruise movie. Uh, probably a minor little movie. Um, uh, there was the assertion made that Tom Cruise does his own stunts. Um, and I was very forward about the fact that whenever an actor says he's doing his own stunts, he's lying. Um, because I think I get that from reading uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade by William Goldman. I think William Goldman makes that very clear, that whenever an actor says he's doing his own stunts, of course, his book was written many decades ago, um, he's lying about it. But the more I've researched since that point, especially since Tom gave us this topic, the more I find that Tom Cruise has done a heck of a lot of his own stunts. Um, especially things involving motorcycles, which he's really, really good at. So there's this great motorcycle sequence in Night and Day, where they're going through the streets of supposedly Sevilla, but it's a different part of Spain. Um, and there's this great stunt where he jumps through this arch with Cameron Diaz on the back of the motorcycle, and, and the stuntman actually does that. It, it, when you watch the stunt, it looks a little weird. It looks like it's been sweetened by a little bit of CG, but it's 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 a it's a hundred yard jump of a motorcycle going up the stairs and through an arch. But the the stunt I really like, and what I'm trying to figure out how they did it, is the is the stunt where Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz are riding together in the motorcycle. He says to her, "All right, take the guns." She pulls the guns out of his. You know, she pulls two guns out of his holsters, and then he switches. He flips her around in front of him so that she's facing backwards on the motorcycle, and then she starts shooting. Um, there's a lot of CG going on in the background, but that particular part of it, and I asked a friend of mine who worked on some of the editing of the movie how that was done. He wasn't completely sure, but he thinks it was, it was stunt people, and then they they did facial right. Uh, thing. Uh, they, they just a, they, CG an actor's head on a stuntman's body. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a but it's a really cool moment, stunt wise, where it it looks real. It looks like he's just flipped her around, and it doesn't look like a big deal. It's just, oh yeah, I'll just pull you around to the front of the motorcycle while I keep driving, and you shoot behind me. Um, but there's a lot of that. There's a lot of great stuff in Night and Day as far as that's concerned. But uh, but that moment is my favorite. Again, Dingus, let me recommend to you the movie Hot Pursuit with Reese Witherspoon and Sofia Vergara, where they're handcuffed together. Sofia Vergara is driving a bus. Reese Witherspoon has to shoot with her right hand, because her left hand is handcuffed to Sofia Vergara's right hand. So she has to straddle <laughs> Sofia Vergara on the bus seat to shoot at the window. It's pretty hot. Just so you know, Dingus, you should maybe check that out. 
as I was doing some research for this, um, I was trying to figure out how the stunt was done and trying to find some like special footage of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was this great sequence where they did a promo uh, in Spain, um, but broadcast live in America for like one of our morning shows, the one that George Stephanopoulos does. And um, they had their correspondent in the car with Cameron Diaz in one of those BMWs while Tom Cruise is riding around on a motorcycle in this square. Uh, and the BMWs are following and doing all these peel outs and, and, and Cameron Diaz is doing her own driving and she's got this weird, like this weird joystick that is up above the dashboard that she keeps pulling on. And it's this huge handle that they put on the emergency brake so that she could control the emergency brake so that she could do drifting and sliding around on the corners. And she was doing all of this driving in this special sequence while Tom Cruise is spinning out on his motorcycle. It's really cool, but it's really clear that, yeah, they, these, these actors really worked hard to be able to do some of these stunts. Well, I, you know, I, that one of the reasons that I'm, I'm not as impressed with car stunts as, as I maybe once was, uh, is when you think about it, uh, and Kurt Russell kind of demonstrated this in that terrible Quentin Tarantino movie. Uh, you can pretty much make a car survive any crash. Like if you right. take a regular car in a crash, they're designed very differently. They're designed a lot of times for survivability. But movie cars, you trick them out with extra roll bars. Uh, like you death proof a car and fine, you'll let loose an actor in it to do pretty much anything. Um, is that these aren't normal cars like you and I might drive, I imagine. But they are, you know, quote-unquote, death-proofed. But if she had accidentally smacked into Tom Cruise on a motorcycle, uh, that would have been Oh, that's true. You can't death-proof a motorcycle. You do have a point there, Dingus. Right. Right. Oh, you know what? That does kind of make motorcycles stunts more special. Yeah. Yeah. Also, what if the stunts to destroy the car? Just use CG on that, Kelly Wand. Oh. (laughs) Kelly Wand, what's your third favorite stunt in a movie? My number three... um... It's hard to pick a good James Bond one because there's so many. No, it's not. It's not, yeah. So I picked uh, <laughs> the Live and Let Die alligator run where he runs across the backs while the alligator. Oh. And Live and Let Die. Because they, they conveniently open their mouths at that point, don't they? Like, Don't they look like they're snapping or, or do they? Maybe I I'm misremembering. I think they're doing that as a reaction, yeah. But yeah, as I remember it, these alligators do not look happy. Like, they react with snapping jaws to being stepped on. If I Right. Yeah, well, the stuntman who did it, he got his foot bitten in the take right before that. Oh, that's that awesome. Like, wow. I mean, not yeah. awesome, but I mean, that's, that's that makes it even more... Uh, no, it is awesome, because yeah. the one after that's the one in the movie. So, like, he did that with a tweaked foot from an alligator bite. So the alligators you're seeing in that shot are extra, like, Whoa. Oh, fuck, really? <laughs> They've been primed. They know they can get a piece of that. Yeah. They're quick, yeah. <laughs> But, well, Kelly Wand, well, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's all. Just like, well, this will segue it, into my number three, because my number three, James Bond movies are, you know, renowned for their stunts. And there's there's this, a sense of, I think with some of the movies, all this like one-upsmanship, we've got to do something more spectacular. The one that always stuck with me, uh, uh, because I knew enough at 13 years old to know that in that sequence in Moonraker, when he's trying to chase down somebody with a parachute, that these are real people – you know, in midair, this isn't like an actor being shot against a blue screen with a fan blowing wind in his face. Um, but I didn't know enough at that point to, to maybe realize this is not Roger Moore, Richard Kyle. They are not up in the air at any point. They never did any parachuting for this. Um, like it totally tricked me as a, as a kid. Um, 
But that stunt where James Bond gets thrown out of an airplane, uh, and then he has to catch up with another parachuter and steal his parachute, and then Jaws is coming after him from behind him. Uh, like just the actual stunt work of that is still kind of amazing. Um, they did it uh, over the course of five weeks. It took 88 jumps Jeez. to film that because each jump, they only had a, a window of a few seconds to do some choreography. Um, the obstacles at that time involved like what kind of camera. Like you could shoot a parachute jump with a crappy little 16-millimeter camera. But uh, Moonraker was shot with a 35-millimeter Panavision camera. Uh, they had to create a special lens for the cameraman. Um uh, so, it, you know, that was an obstacle. They also had to design parachutes that they could wear under their suit coats um, and that they would, you know, the suit coats were specially designed to break away and let the parachute come through. Uh, so it's still quite a feat to look at that. Uh, a feat? So it's a feat to sort of see what they did. Uh, oh. you know? And the guy who shot it, by the way, the guy who actually filmed it is a fellow named Randy DeLuca. Um uh, who also shot a Chuck Yeager scene from The Right Stuff where he ejects and hits his helmet. Um, uh, and that's a fairly well-known scene, partly because uh, the, a stuntman died doing that scene, playing oh. Chuck Yeager. Um, so this guy, Randy DeLuca, was kind of a go-to fella for doing skydiver scenes. Uh, and this is always weird to hear. Uh, he died of cancer at 37. Did you say Chuck Yeager? Yeah, isn't there the scene in The Right Stuff? I haven't seen it in a while. But oh, okay. Chuck Yeager is recalling that he yeah, – yeah. or Chuck Yeager uh, was testing a plane, and his helmet hit the canopy when he ejected, when the plane – something went wrong with it. Uh, and I think he was injured. It sprayed like fuel in his face or something, and that's part of the uh, the movie. Isn't oh, okay. Isn't there is – it? does Ed Harris play Chuck Yeager in Right Stuff? No, he plays uh, John Glenn. Who plays Chuck Yeager? Is it Sam, uh, Sam Shepard. Okay. Yeah, Sam Shepard. So yeah, so I think that's a, a scene in Right Stuff, and this guy Ray DeLuca, who is known for Moonraker, shot that scene, and a stuntman died because they were well, just, it just something went wrong, and he didn't open his chute, and he, he got killed. Ugh. And from Moonraker, and that's the Moonraker guy. Yeah, no, not nobody. No stuntman died in Moonraker. A stuntman died oh. filming the Right Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that's what the movie's about, ironically. Well, but Chuck Yeager didn't die. But I mean, yeah, it's sort of no, the perils yeah. of that kind of thing, and yeah, you know, uh, and and the kind of personality it takes to want to do that, yeah, like absolutely too, absolutely. Right. And these guys that did, so it's a, a skydiver named Jake Lombard who stood in for Roger Moore, Randy DeLuca, the guy who played the pilot was actually, uh, actually, I don't know if the actual actor, no, the actor wasn't one of the, the stuntmen, but the actor was cast because he looked like the stuntman that they hired to do this sequence. Um, so that that whole stunt at the beginning of Moonraker is the James Bond thing that, that stands out for me. Did you ever see the nude bomb, the Get Smart movie? Uh, I don't think I did. Because it opens with some like a like a parody of that Moonraker. Thing. Steve Carell. Like, oh, and did they do any actual cool sky? No, it's the Don Adams one from 1979. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay. Oh my god. So that's what? how you know it's real stunt work in an airplane. But like he has like rows of dudes like jumping towards him and then he like dodges him and they all like hit each other like a hound in the movie but in midair so it's like he has to look dangerous but the sound hilarious like, oh, oh, oh. Oh, the, yeah. away. 
I mean, that stuff still looks good because these days, you, you know, they would just do. So. I'm thinking of the, the Fast and Furious movie where they drive the planes out of the, the car. I mean, whatever. It looks uh, yeah. it's kind of a cool idea, but I never got the sense of, wow, this is amazing. Right. Because you just uh, it's CG. But, you know, you look at that Moonraker scene, the, the, the bit from uh, from right stuff. You, you know, you're mentioning Nude Bomb uh, back then. But in Nude couldn't fake that stuff. In Nude Bomb, it just ends. He's like. Are you gonna be at base uh, within a few minutes? He's like, yeah, two minutes, and then he his parachute doesn't open. He goes, would you believe two seconds? And then that's like the end of that whole sequence. Well, do you remember how like, the Moonraker sequence ends? He steals. I do. Uh, I'll tell. I'll let you tell me if I'm right. He grabs the parachute from the other dude. Right. So far, so good. I'm with this. Go on. <laughs> and then um, Jaws. Richard Kyle yep. tries to flap his arms and fly because it's funny that he's going to fall to his death. And even he's scared, but then he lands on a trapeze. He a circus tent. Big, he lands yeah, on a circus, circus tent. tent and survives. Yeah. yeah. And there's even like goofy music. Like at that point, that's where that, you know the, when the James Bond movies just became comedies. I, I mean, yeah. I as a kid, I didn't care, but I look at that now. Like I'm watching on YouTube this awesome parachute sequence. Yeah. I mean, Richard Kyle's trying to fly. It's like Daffy Duck. Yeah, lands on the circus tent. I'm like, oh god, really? You're gonna undercut this cool stunt with yeah. stupid. Like like a slide whistle sound in Man with the Golden Gun when he do, when he turns the car over. Oh he, my god, are you serious? It's oh. all. Whoop. So this guy did like this badass stunt. Like he had one well, shot at it too. Well, Kubrick Boy. directed those parts where you know Richard where where he's doing the flapping. Dingus had Spielberg did the. Dingus is um, making fun of because it's exactly what I'm talking about. It's that that weird slapsticky moment where the coke sprays Keenan Wynn in the face, uh, and um, and and Doctor Strangelove. I hate that slapstick moment. Right. And on that day, yeah. So someone pointed out to me, Dingus, in a conversation about this. You know, there was a pie fight that was going to end. Doctor oh. Strangelove was supposed to end with a pie fight in the war yeah. room, but Kubrick mm-hmm. Kubrick was like, nah, that's not going to work. Like he had the sense to cut that out. But he left the, the coke machine. out of the coke machine, whatever. Maybe right. that was his compromise. I guess so. All right, Dingus, what's your second favorite stunt in a movie? Maybe you have a line. His compromise. I don't have a line now. from it. Um, this is this is actually uh, really a pleasure to to uh, to do some research on this this week, Tom. Um, I really really like this topic a lot uh, because a, lo- a lot of things that I love as stunts, I I kept trying to it's. It's hard to – I don't know if, if they're just buttoned up about it or, you know, if they only appear in – I mean, I had to find – I had to put in DVDs and look at their extras to try to try to get something and, li- and listen to commentary tracks to get things. Um, but this one has a lot of documentation to it, and for good reason. Um, this is the uh, the semi-truck flip in The Dark Knight. Um mm. And I love this stunt. I absolutely love it. Now, I'm just going to assume it was all CG. But they, they yeah. What did, what did you find out, Angus? Well, you know, I tried to avoid uh, car chases and fights because I think fights and car chases are different things. Um, but I ended up not being able to do this because I picked a, a motorcycle and I picked a semi truck. Um, this is this is this was a real practical effect. Christopher Nolan insisted on actually doing this with a real semi, and so you've got this. Um, uh, this stunt coordinator named Paul Jennings, who has done a ton of work on this type of thing, and Christopher Nolan says, "No, I, I don't want to do CG. I want this to be an actual this moment where the Dark Knight ties up the truck and it flips over onto its back. I want that to be a real thing happening in the middle of Chicago. How do we do that? Because it, 
they're in the middle of a Chicago street. There's so many obstacles they have to overcome. If, if, it, if it deviates in any way, it, it will break through the windows of banks. It will damage buildings. If they, if they don't do the piston, which is, is what shoots off when, often when they do a, a truck flip or a car flip uh, in the wrong place, it will damage the sewer system. It will go into the gas lines. It'll damage utilities. There's so many things that they could go wrong. I love this picking is because at some point I'm amazed that someone didn't convince Christopher Nolan, you know what, we just need to do CG. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But Christopher Nolan was insistent. He's like, no, this has to be done. And, and, for one of my runners up, he did, you know, Christopher Nolan has done a lot of this. He's like, no, no, you have to build something. We have to do this. It has to be practical. Um, so first they did, they tried it on, it, you know, one place I read was that it was on an airstrip. When I actually looked at the video of them practicing it, it looks like it's in this huge parking lot. Um, and they just wanted to make sure, can we, can we do this? And it's this gigantic piston. I mean, this thing that shoots out of the bottom of the truck, you know, propelled by TNT looks like something that's like a column that would hold up, you know, somebody's porch. I mean, it's huge. And so the idea is it fires out of the cab of the truck to, to flip the tail like ass over head, like to flip it over. Like, yeah, well not the cab, but back farther, farther in into the back area of the truck because it's a semi with the huge trailer, so it would be firing out of the back of the trailer to launch the trailer over so does the, the cab. Not flip, like does the whole? Well, the cab sim- flips, but but okay. but it, but if you can imagine, you know, trailing behind the cab, if the cab flips over, then the then the the actual um, the trailer. Uh, sorry, if, if the, the trailer, trailer pulls over, the cab with it, basically. Exactly right. Okay. And so they they did they did test run of that, and they found that oh yeah we can do this if, as long as we do it at the exact right point. Um, then it, the truck will only move, you know, a couple of inches or maybe six, ten inches either way. Uh, so they could do it on the Chicago street, which he insisted. And there were only a couple of places on the street where they could actually do it. It still seems amazing to me that city officials let them do that given the problems that could have happened. Um, and of course they have to, they have, they have an actual driver. This is not, uh, what? Not remote controlled. This is a driver named Jim Wilkie. He's this old stunt guy uh, who was willing to do it uh, and knew exactly what he was doing. And uh, and they did this whole thing. And when you watch, I mean, I've watched this stunt so many times this week because it's such a thrilling stunt to watch. Um, both watching the special feature, uh, like the back, behind the scenes stuff, and just watching it within the context of the movie, which is just it's unbelievably thrilling, especially because of the sound effect that goes with it, that whole thing that happens. Um, but, yeah, it's a totally practical stunt. Uh, they, all the, the only CG, I mean, the main CG they had to do was erasing that piston that you would otherwise have seen shoot out of the bottom of the trailer. So, uh, cause, so yeah, I, this makes me hate CG even more because I don't appreciate it when they go to the trouble to do something practical like this. I mean, my brain just thinks... Yeah, that looks cool, but something's been erased, or there's, you know, there's just wires carrying it, or something. Exactly, but you have a sense of weight here, I mean, and and if you remember that stunt when you know when Batman like fires his grappling hooks into the truck, goes under it, weaves between the streetlights, and you hear this voice going, "Oh, he missed," and then all of a sudden that truck just crashes over. It's an amazing, amazing moment. So yeah. Kelly one, can you believe that Dingus thinks that the batarang is called a grappling hook? Oops. 
Uh, Genghis, this segues perfectly into my number two because it's also a truck and a trailer stunt. But it's and again, Kelly. Pardon? I think Kelly's next. Oh, shoot. Kelly, I guess you might have one. All right, Kelly, one, what's your number two? Hurry on if we can get it over with so we can segue to mine because it's also a truck and a trailer. My number two is uh, in the Three Stooges movie. Uh, oh, my God. Stooge You're right. Tom. And there's like a telephone spike that uh, goes through Moe's eye and his head. And back in the 40s, they didn't have like even stunt doubles for those guys because they looked too weird. So um, that's my favorite one. What's the name of the movie? Three Stooges in Tahunga? They Stooge to Conga. I think there's a Hitler theme. Uh, yeah. To, no, to Conga. As in, we stoop yeah. to conquer, we stoop yeah. to Conga. That's great. We stoop to Conga. And this is a special effect, not a stunt. So, all right, Kelly One, no, three by three cops are arresting you. We are throwing you in three by three jail. We'll maybe let you out for your number one pick. We'll see. And I'm sorry, stop you from your segue because that was uh, a nice bit of stuff that was going on. So go ahead, Tom. All right, so let's get back to trailers and trucks. <laughs> um, and the reason I love this stunt is, again, it's from before you could fake that stuff or erase pistons, although, you know, God bless Christopher Nolan for really wanting to do that. That's awesome. This one, at least Christopher Nolan had an empty Chicago street. This is an amazing stunt with a truck and a tractor trailer behind the truck in the chase scene and to live and die in L.A. Um, so I think a lot of William Friedkin's post-French Connection career was trying to follow up on that car chase. Like, he really did set himself up. Uh, like, he peaked early, I think. Um, and, and even, I, I fondly remember the chase scene in To Live and Die in L.A., but going back and watching it, eh, I don't think it's that great. Um, there's some cool stuff in it, but uh, there's a point where they're, a car is chasing them, and they dodge in front of a train to get away from the other car, and they think they're fine. They go into the L.A. River, which, <laughs> please stop doing chases in L.A. Yeah, I know. Um, but suddenly people randomly start showing up with guns and cars pull over and people with Uzis get out. And it looks what? ridiculous. Uh, Wait, I don't remember that. You know, it's funny because in, in reading about this, uh, and unlike Dingus, I was unable to find any information about how they did this because I think previously there is a mentality of like giving away the magic trick. Like I right. think for a lot of stunts – they, a, a director doesn't necessarily want to tell you or a stunt coordinator or whoever how it was done. Uh, so I couldn't figure out – like I couldn't find anything about how they jackknifed this truck into Live and Die in L.A. And it's even scooping up another car, and you see it from a couple of angles, so you know it's not on a, a rolling platform or anything. Um, but what I did find is Friedkin talking about how he wanted the chase scene to be Kafka-esque. <laughs> That's what he describes, where just random people pull over and pull out guns. Uh, Are you sure he didn't say cop car-esque? That, uh, that does sound, it sounds Keystone Cops-esque to me. Yeah. Um, Has he read Kafka? Or the script of the movie Kafka. that he's talking well, well, it was written by Kafka. But Kafka wrote it. Yeah, so at any rate, after this scene, you know, the, the, the chase scene really starts to get going when they decide they're going to go the wrong way down a freeway. And some of that is really good. You know, we've seen that uh, several times where somebody's driving the wrong way down a, down a freeway. Uh, what do we see it in recently, by the way? Oh, oh no, no, no. Born Supremacy, I think. Well, Born Supremacy is great, but there's a lot of CG in Born Supremacy, Blame by the way. There's a lot of cars on platforms, a lot of Matt Damon with CG behind him. I was very disappointed to find out, you know, there's a lot of practical stuff there, but there's also a lot of fakery in that. Um, Ronan has a lot of great work with a car going the wrong way down a freeway. Um and, and To Live and Die in L.A. has some of that as well. Uh, but the whole scene... That's so awesome because of the long shots, though. 
into Live it's and Die in LA. excitement of being on a free oh, and Live and Die in LA. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, Ronin doesn't have a lot of long shots. Like, Ronin is a lot of in-car stuff, which uh, – but, yeah, there's a lot of long car shots in it to Live and Die in LA, and certainly that tractor-trailer jackknifing down the road. Um, because, by the way, that seems – you know, Dingus, you're talking about the stunt in Dark Knight, and they measure it where they have a margin for error of a few inches. inches. A lot of this is just physics. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, if we can launch a rocket to land on a specific point on the moon, surely we can knock a truck over and know, know where it's going to land. Right. Um, but jackknifing is inherently an uncontrolled situation mm. where the trailer swings around to the side while the cab is trying to brake. Uh, and I don't know, maybe they designed something specially to do that. But the way it looks and, – and by the way, there's other cars right around it. Like it doesn't have the luxury of Dark Knight's shoot where it's a long, empty street. Right. You know, this is a tractor trailer jackknifing with cars all around it, uh, and it just look—it still looks amazing. Uh, and that's the end of the chase scene, by the way. Uh, William Peterson just dodges around it, and then the scene is over. Um, mm. But what I did find out in this—I uh, uh, did find a quote where Friedkin, uh, who—and I still think French Connection is a great chase scene. I've talked before about there are three things you need in a car chase scene. You need choreography, you need an, an, an interesting character, and you need some context for why the scene is happening. Uh, French Connection sort of established it. It's like a great basis for demonstrating all three of those. Uh, but I found a, a bit where Friedkin was talking about trying to do chase scenes, and he was specifically talking about the live and die in L.A. chase scene. Uh, and he said, here's his quote, uh, the chase is the purest form of cinema, something that can't be done in any other medium, not in literature, nor on stage, nor on a painter's canvas. A chase must appear spontaneous and out of control, but it must be meticulously choreographed, if only for safety considerations. The audience should not be able to foresee the outcome, and it helps. And this is, by the way, this is me, Tom, uh, editorializing. Uh, to Live and Die in L.A. illustrates this next point beautifully. Uh, Friedkin writes, or says... It helps to have innocent bystanders who could be hurt or killed. Yeah. I see vehicles in a film whipping through deserted streets or country roads. I don't feel a sense of danger. Actual high-speed chases take place in big city traffic or in a crowded freeway. Uh, pace doesn't imply speed. Sometimes the action should slow to a crawl or even a dead stop. Build and stop, build and stop, leading to a climax. Which, by the way, recalls a chase scene he did in Jade where they get stuck in parade and they're, they're stopped. Um so at any rate, Friedkin, who uh, you know is certainly uh, entitled to being considered a, a pioneer and a master of car chases, that jackknifing tractor trailer into live and die in L.A. Kafkaesque. That's my second. Yeah, nothing Kafkaesque about it. We uh, can't do it in literature, but I want it to be Kafkaesque. That's the thing is, by the way, you know what you can do it in, Kelly Wand? What? Video games are a fantastic yeah. outlet for this whole thing that, of chase scenes that Friedkin's talking about. Um, hmm. Does he know that? I don't think – I'm guessing Friedkin isn't super hip to that young medium. Like that's mm. not really something that I'm guessing he's into. This really makes me think of that moment in Most Violent Year. Um, is that what it is – that, is that the name yeah, of it? that's right. Yeah, the, um, the Oscar Trump's, Isaac's thing. What, right, right, right. Oil. Uh, where, yeah, what moment? The, the moment where the guy in the truck actually shoots back and then he runs instead of driving. Because the, the all the traffic is stopped, and so the the chase takes place on foot. Ah, right. When you think that oh, in in another movie, then they might have made this into a chase between an, a truck filled with oil and these guys who are shooting at it. 
but instead they can't because they're stopped. And they also don't have the budget for the 22 Jump Street uh, gag about exploding <laughs> oil trucks. Very good. Very good. All right, Dingus, tell us, tell us your favorite stunt in a movie, Dingus. All right. My favorite, and this is sort of the Tom Cruise apology tour. Um, so this is this is uh, having gone through a lot of different stunts this week. Um, I have to I have to choose one that I have so much respect for, uh, just because of the physical demands on the guy doing the stunt. Um, Dingus, you're scooping every single one. Like I could segue perfectly from each of your picks into mine. So Kelly, one, we won't need your number one, by the way. Go ahead, Dingus. All right, kind of stupid. This is from the first uh, Mission Impossible, um, and this is just that that moment, and it's just such an iconic looking moment. It's that moment when he goes into the the CIA vault, and um, he has to be upside down for an ungodly amount of time, and and then get suspended just inches above the floor. And I love that. I love that stunt. I love it because all I can think of is, damn, that guy's got. Such a solid core. It really is like a, a feat of gymnastics, isn't it? Yeah. It, he looks like an acrobat, and and, yeah. and you and you you don't really think about that. I think the first couple of times you watch the movie, but I've watched that movie a lot because I really am a big fan of that first Mission Impossible movie. Um, but the way he he puts the disc into the and then, but he also has to hang upside down for a long time, and and that's what I was referring to earlier when I said you know I put in my DVD of that just to look at the extras and watch how did they structure that scene. Uh, it's I, I don't like watching DVD extras for that for that reason because you then you you see him like ex, you know hanging over a bunch of plywood, um, which is really annoying because it's like don't you want to know how the magic trick is done i love seeing that stuff you don't know it's, it's a little disturbing to me right. but but then you put the movie back on and it's just as thrilling yeah. and that that moment that moment where um uh where jean renault decides to kill the rat and drops uh tom uh, drops tom cruise and then grabs him at the last moment and where he's swimming in midair that is my one of my favorite stunts ever because it's just it just takes such physical prowess to do that, and that guy is so dedicated. He's hung upside down, which can totally mess with your head. He's swung around on these on these ropes, and then he hangs above. And and it, and as one of the um, producers says, if it if it's if it's too high, it's not going to be dangerous, and if it's too low, he'll hit the ground. How are you going to do this? But it's just this guy who is so dedicated. And that he can do that stunt, that particular stunt of just keeping his body from touching the ground. Do we know, by the way, if he really did the pole escape in Rogue Nation, Dingus, in that scene where we are introduced to Rebecca Ferguson? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, the the disappointing thing to me is because my long-held belief is that stars don't do their own stunts is that Tom Cruise does. I mean, well, it's such a, that's a, when I think of gymnastic feats, like I do think of that pole escape in Rogue Nation, and I'm wondering be simple to just bring in a stuntman to do it but i wonder if tom cruise was actually able to actually pull that off i would imagine he is but i didn't know i don't know that specific all right kelly one do you know no <laughs> well in that case kelly one why don't you tell us your favorite stunt in a movie i just want to say also i consider dingus's choice the mission impossible one thing i really thought that sequence is really poorly shot because i can even see the wires <laughs> 
<laughs> You'd think they would CG that out, right? Yeah. I shit, man. The one thing I don't like about that sequence is that when the uh, when the sweat drips off of his glasses and he catches it with his glove, there's not enough space based on where he is in relation to the floor for that really to work. Um, so I'm a little I'm a little thrown off by this. It falls apart a little at that point, yeah. Yeah, but oh, that was sweat. Anyway, Kelly. <laughs> All right, Kelly, what's your favorite stunt? Wow us, because I need to segue from Dingus's. Uh, My number one's the car chase from Raiders because it's really long. And um, which one, Kelly? That one where he goes under the car and then tricks the giant German into getting his nuts run over by the. Oh, same the truck. one from Stagecoach. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that one. Especially just Harrison Ford, like he really gets dragged through gravel. That seems like a, a fairly. That's a uh, superpower. Yeah, I mean, that seemed like a fairly. Uh, Her- did Harrison Ford do his own stunts? No. He did that and that because they 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 uh, they dug a um, they dug uh, what do you call it? A trench. A trench, yeah. A groove. So that he could do that, and the and the truck was going much slower, and he did a lot of that, yeah. Right. But it That's is the only George Lucas movie with a trench. trench. But that still looks good, though. I, I think that Raiders. Oh, stuff. I love that. I love again. That's yeah. That's before you could be faking it with CG. That's before we could have CG flowers, whapping Shia LaBeouf in the crotch. Uh, <laughs> those were the days. Wait, was the giant rock chasing him when he was in the car? Because I can't remember. That's, that was on foot, and that was I'm guessing that that's got to have been like a a, a special effect, right? That, that was another trench, huh? Because the rock was in the trench. Mm. No, what do you mean the giant rock in the? In the cave? Yeah, yeah. the original the the scene in Raiders. Like, that was probably... Like, it just shows up again and does a cameo, like, right then. Like, ah, oh, you... Ah, crazy day. Well, actually hurt his knee. He actually fell down. I mean, when you when you see him running away from that rock, that's a, that's a mistake. He falls down. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, Harrison Ford. <laughs> Why am I just laughing at Harrison Ford? Ha-ha. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson doesn't fall down when he runs from rocks. I'd take that back. Tom no, prattled. All right, speaking of prattling, uh, so Dingus, you're talking about like the physicality of a stunt. This is not a spectacular stunt by any stretch of the imagination. It is incredibly mundane, and I wouldn't have thought twice about it until listening to one of the – there are at least three compelling commentaries on the, the, the commentary track for this movie. Listening to one of the commentary tracks where somebody explained how this was done. Um, how many takes they had to do, and what the limitations were. Um, there is a kind of a throwaway scene at the end of Fight Club mm. where Brad Pitt and Edward Norton are fighting in the basement because he's trying to disarm the bomb in the van. Mm. And at one point, uh, Brad Pitt throws Edward Norton down a staircase, and then we see on a security camera that Edward Norton is alone, and nobody's thrown him down the staircase. He's thrown himself, and it's just footage of him bouncing down a staircase. And in the director's commentary, someone, I don't think it was Fincher himself, uh, I think it was one of the commentary tracks that had like one of the, maybe the DP, and, and I think the, the, the screenwriter might have been there, but someone pointed out that for this sequence, you know, a stuntman really threw himself down the stairs, but because in the scene, Edward Norton is only wearing boxer shorts, uh, and, and I think a t-shirt, because it, he's... He's just escaped being uh, castrated at the police station, but he's basically wearing very little clothes. Um, the stuntman couldn't wear any padding. So it's it's literally a dude throwing himself down concrete basement steps 
over and over, doing multiple shots. And I think in the commentary track, one of the things they said was David Fincher ended up using the first take. So all these additional six or seven takes they did were for naught. And and so watching that and and realizing and really looking at it and thinking, this is really a dude falling down steps. You know, this is really his head bouncing and his back ran in the corners of the steps. He he did this once, and he's going to do it six more times. Um, it just really gives me an appreciation for certain moments in movies where you got to just realize, oh, you know, some stuntman really took a hit with this fall, uh, banging into this wall or something. Um, it just kind of renewed my respect for the fact that stuntmen aren't always just setting themselves on fire and leaping out of airplanes and rolling cars. Sometimes they're just falling down stairs. Uh and when you see the physical impact of that, you know, when that's, that's, that's like real. Yeah. No, it hurts. The, the, that, that group of commentary tracks and the group of commentary tracks on Seven are, th- those two movies, Fight Club and Seven, those group of commentary tracks are some of my favorite things of all time. Well, there's so, I mean, they're both such rich movies that there's so much to talk about. And yeah, the commentary tracks definitely know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to tip your stuntman. <laughs> and I don't did get to, over, and, and this, this topic, Tom, again, gave me appreciation for listening to commentary tracks again, because I listened to another movie that, it, that I was trying to figure out how a stunt was done, and I was hoping the director would talk about it. Um, well, Dennis, why don't you save that for the runners-up? I certainly let's will. see what the listeners have to say. Good idea. T.J. Keller, Keller, uh, T.J. Keller. Keller, T.J., your name would be way cooler if it was T.J. Keller. T.J. Keller writes, uh, these three stunts dropped my jaw when I found out they were real. Born ultimatum, the window jump. The fact that the camera also follows the stuntman into the window makes the stunt even cooler. Good. Dark Knight, the truck flip. Not much is cooler than semi-truck gymnastics in the middle of a city street, T.J. Keller writes. And then number one, rumble in the Bronx. Oh, here we go. Uh, The jump from the parking garage to the fire escape. Jackie Chan is amazing, and so is this jump. It isn't over a small alley like Born, like the Bourne jump. It's over a United States city alley. He didn't use a harness and supposedly landed the stunt in the first try. Joey Brimhall's first pick is... Uh, you know what, Joey? I'm going to read from the bottom up. Joey Brimhall's number three is The Spy Who Loved Me. Most of the Bond movies have impressive stunts, but this one has my favorite opening sequence. After being chased down a hill while skiing, Roger Moore's stunt double makes an epic leap off of a cliff and engages his British flag parachute. Hottest Bond girl goes to Barbara Bach, maybe Carol Bouquet. I'm with her on the first one. All right. Uh, I don't even know who Carol Bouquet is. I'm definitely with him on Barbara Bach, though. Joey Brimhall's number two is Die Hard. So many good real stunts in this movie, but the Alan Rickman death fall is the most impressive. Seriously, Joey, you think that's a real stunt? I would have thought the fire hose. It is a real stunt, but it's not from that high. Yeah, but right. Well, let's see. So Joey writes: someone actually had to fall backwards from the top of the Nakatomi Plaza. No, wait. No. That's not true. Joey knows something we don't know. Uh, There's no way that's true because you can. It's shot so fakely on purpose. Joey also writes that Bruce Willis lost two thirds of his hearing after firing a gun with extra loud blanks from underneath the table. Joey, are you just making up stuff about Die Hard? That's Wait, actually that true, be because that's the commentary track I'm referring to, but I'll talk about that later. So Bruce Willis really lost some of his hearing? Yeah. Wait, two-thirds of his hearing? 
uh, I don't think it's that much, but he did lose hearing in one ear because wait, hearing uh, comes in thirds. Yes, hearing comes in thirds. You, you remember when he's under the table and he's shooting? I mean, the yeah. blanks were were were. They have to change the weapons and the blanks in order to make the weapons sound the way John McTiernan wanted them to sound. So yeah, that is true. Just ADR that stuff. Yeah, right. you can now, but he really wanted there to be, and and he wanted the muzzle flashes to be totally different as well. So that's why it really important to this movie. But that that particular under the table sequence where he's shooting up under the table, um, he's absolutely right. Uh, Bruce Willis suffered permanent hearing loss because of that. Well, then, Dingus, what do you know about this whole idea that someone actually fell backwards from the top of? Oh, is there like a long shot? I don't recall there being a long shot of Hans Gruber falling. There's not, but there's. Yeah. It, it could have been. I mean, there there is a long shot of a, of something falling. I just remember seeing. Uh, you remember that cartoonish little... look of him as he takes her watch. Right. That uh, yeah, that I sure yeah. remember. Which, but, and I also remember just... thinking, oh, we're just you know, it's just over a fake. Fake, like a back yeah, but screen. they they changed this cue on him, so he he was genuinely surprised because they were like one two, eh, and then they liked the watcher, so he looked stunned. I don't think I believe you about as much as I believe Joey Brimhall, Kelly Wand. Oh, it's tough. Right? Well, Joey Brimhall's number one pick for a favorite stunt: Rambo First Blood. Sylvester Stallone jumps off a cliff to escape the sheriff's department and used a tree to break his fall. Fun That's fact: a great one. Stallone broke several of his ribs performing the stunt himself. While filming the scene three times. I did not. Uh, but that's certainly that, a movie I remember seeing that and thinking, ouch. That's one where he goes, Jesus, as he hits one of the branches. Okay, when you'll like this one. Paul Weimer's number three pick, the climax of It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World, with all the money seekers on a teetering and swaying fire engine ladder. Yeah. Firefighters lose control of it, and the ladder throws everyone off in ones and twos to humorously injurious effect. From landing in fountains to landing on power lines to Spencer Tracy's zipline-like ride right through the window of a pet store. It's you funny. Funny. It's what? Yeah. But it, that's not as good as a, the Jumoners gas station fight because it looks like a lot of people got fucked up in that. Even though there's three, only three people. It just looks like a lot. But, Paul Weimer's number two pick, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, a movie with no lack of spectacle and stunts. Paul says, my jaw dropped at the sight of the war boys teetering on their gigantic poles, angling their way to try to get into Max Furiosa's truck. Yeah, it was very Cirque du Soleil, wasn't it? Amy Smart's jaw dropped in mirrors. <laughs> good one, Kelly Wand. Uh, and then Paul Weimer's number one pick. Oh, good Lord. Some grandpa movie. Uh, he writes, still breathtaking and exciting even today, the legendary chariot race in Ben-Hur. Eh, that's not a stunt. Come on. Is it? Well, Paul writes, dozens of horses, hundreds of people, an impressive film work to capture all the hard work the actors and stuntmen and stunt horses had to do to pull it all off. But it's the horse doing the stunt. That's a well, different not only topic. that, actually, the the guy doing the, who was uh, doubling for um, Charlton Heston, um, I think his dad was the stunt coordinator. And, um, and... In, in in that moment where where the the chariot like jumps over actually like bumps over something and the guy falls out of the chariot it was an accident because he didn't listen to his dad and slow down and they were really worried that he was dead 
at that moment, but he climbed back into the chariot. And, you know, his dad was the guy who did the stagecoach, uh, the stagecoach thing that was in, inspirational for the Raiders of the Lost Ark thing. So that Ben Hur thing was that particular take where you see the, the chariot jump over, or not jump, but bump over that thing, and, and the and Charlton Henson or whoever fall out of the chariot. You think, oh my god, that guy's dead. And that's what they thought when that was going on. Yeah. All right, well, I feel bad for making fun of him then. Thanks, Dingus. Sorry. Jamie Cabrera writes, number three, Rush Hour 2. This is by no means Jackie Chan's most spectacular stunt. There's a part in the movie where he jumps through an opening in a casino cashier cage feet first. <laughs> it's a very short scene. You wouldn't think much of it, except the movie showed a bunch of bloopers during the end credits. It shows him repeatedly trying to get through the tiny opening and failing over and over and over. Been on that day. He even gets stuck because the opening won't even let his rib cage through. You've been on that, yeah, that day. Yeah. yeah. Look at me. You can tell. Jamie's number two pick, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I know this isn't anyone's favorite Indiana Jones movie except mine, and it's only my favorite because it was the only one I owned as a kid. All right, uh, let's see. I love the scene where bad guys are coming at him from either side on a rope bridge, and he makes the decision to cut the rope uh, and pitch everyone over the side. Plus, Shorty gets to say, Kelly, one, I want you to do this line for me. Shorty gets to say, hang on, lady, we go for a ride. Kelly Wan, do you remember the intonation of that line? Dr. Jones, you crazy lady, we go for a ride. Mr. Wand. All right. Uh, and then Jimmy Cooper. It's been a while since I've seen it. I, I understand. Yeah, that's hard to get right. Yeah. Jimmy Dr. Cooper. Jones, oh. Mr. Wand. Where uh, is number one pick is the Italian job from 2003. Uh, he says when the topic was first introduced with a description of a helicopter stunt, this one jumped to mind. There's a scene where Ed Norton's character has hired a helicopter to keep track of an armored car. He ends up using it to chase after Mark Wahlberg's Mini Cooper. They end up with Mark Wahlberg cornered <laughs> under a bridge type uh, slash overpass type structure. Rather than let him escape, the helicopter flies under the overpass to block his way. The helicopter shifts rapidly from side to side to prevent the escape. It ends with Mark Wahlberg making a forgettable jump off a ramp to get around the helicopter. <laughs> forgettable. Yeah. The helicopter itself, uh, moving in such a confined space, was pretty cool, especially since it was all actually done, no CG for this stunt. I'm not sure I buy that. Or that there wasn't some sort of just helicopter on an arm. like Because uh, like, you can put a helicopter on a crane, and this gets done a lot, and just move it around and shoot it from... Uh, where the the actual arm is behind the helicopter and you can't see it. Right. I don't know. Maybe. Hang on, right. Mr. Wahlberg. We go for a ride. <laughs> Very good, Kelly Wand. I don't think Short Round was flying a helicopter in Italian. Oh, I thought Jackson. Jason Statham was in it. You call him Doctor Wand. Doctor Statham, we go for a ride. Uh, Arthur Giovanginelli writes number three, Inception. I see some CG coming. Out. Well, maybe not. It is <laughs> Nolan. Uh, the scene hallway. where. Where the gravity is constantly shifting in the hotel hallway. Okay. Right. It's actually a hundred foot long room that they were able to spin. The actors had to learn to fight choreography and time it with the hallway's rotation. No, had to learn the fight choreography and time it with the hallway's rotation. A feat made even more difficult by the fact that the scene is all one shot. You know what else they did that in? Did they change the gravity? Gravity. That that inception scene, they they intended to uh, make that just a 
the the hallway basically get, kept getting longer and longer and longer until it was as long as Arthur says. Um, and they they had to just teach them how to do it slowly, slowly, slowly until they could finally do rotate the hallway and have them do it at full speed. It is a great stunt. That's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, right? I'm sure it helped him in all the great stunt work he did in Robert Zemeckis' The Walk, which is coming out soon. Jeez. Arthur Giovanginelli's number two, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol. They actually had Tom Cruise running around the outside of Burj Khalifa, the world's Burj. tallest skyscraper, for the scene in which he climbs the building using some malfunctioning clubs. The only thing they had to edit out was the cable they were using to keep Cruise from falling. Cheat. That's me saying that, by the way, not Arthur. Uh, Arthur continues, even though he was doubtlessly well-secured, it must have been a terrifying stunt to perform. I think we've established that Tom Cruise is not afraid of heights. Uh, yeah. He's uh, also super well-prepared for everything he does. Arthur's number one pick, also Fury Road. He says almost everything in this movie was done using stunts, and all of it looks amazing. The part that really sticks out to me is the use of long bending poles that allowed the Warwick's pursuers to snatch Max off the vehicle. Yep. This was an incredible visual in the movie, and the fact it was done with stunt work makes it all the more impressive. Fred Bow writes, stunt, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. In The Trail of the Pink Panther, Herbert Baum, from a diving board, belly flops into a pool of jello. Rumor has it they could only do one take of the scene because of logistics, while at the same time not knowing how dangerous the stunt might be. And the jello was melting. Fredbow includes a, a link, which uh, if you click right here, listeners, you can see this uh, YouTube video. Hang on, Inspector Dreyfus. We're going for a ride. That's what Cato said in that movie, Tom. I know, right? Yeah. Dave Perkins uh, suggests that a million other listeners have already mentioned this. Oh, geez. The Spear Checkers in Fury Road. Really, Dave Perkins. That's how you're characterizing them. Uh, yeah. So Dave opts to uh, – says he will opt for comedy. Uh, his first pick is Airplane. <laughs> From Fury Road. When I first oh, saw the five reporters run simultaneously into the payphone booth and knock them over, I laughed so hard I felt something tear in my abdomen. That's not a stunt. They just tipped that thing over. Those guys didn't, like, smash into the... That's a special effect, right? Well, it worked for Dave. And according to Dave, he recalls that uh, after a few seconds of seeing only blinding white light, because he says he felt something tear in his abdomen, he looked over to where his dad was sitting... And he was gone because his dad had laughed so hard that he fell into the aisle. <laughs> so Kelly, one people were fought, people got hurt beholding this stunt. Wait, did he slap his knee also? Dave does not say. Dave goes on to bring up Clue. <laughs> the characters are exploring the house looking for the murderer when a gunshot brings them all running. For no good reason at all, two of the pairs collide in the upper stairway, and all four tumble to the floor, their legs flailing above them. He says he rewound the stunt a good half dozen times. Hang on, Colonel Mustard. We're going for a ride. (laughs) Uh, And finally, Dave picks (laughs) Tommy Boy. Wow. What? Uh, Let's see. Looks like he's describing uh, a face plant into a coffee table after Chris Farley apparently chugs a bottle, then takes a hit from a bong and says, we're going to show this world a thing or two. And then he face plants into a coffee table. No one did that but huh. Farley, Dave Perkins writes. Can you imagine a stunt person being brought in for a Chris Farley coffee table stunt? Oh, wait, that is a good one. 
I retract my earlier ridicule. I'm dumb. Chris Farley did his own stunts, Kelly Wand. That was the problem. Finally, Nick D, his number three pick is Inception, as nonsensical as it is, Nick D says. The central action sequence involving a spinning hotel corridor is exciting, and I maintain the only thing anyone actually remembers or understands from that movie. That's not true, actually, Nick D. I remember, and Dingus, you mentioning the drop of sweat from Tom Cruise, I remember that really cool Leonardo DiCaprio non-fake physical gesture where he shoots his gun and then catches the shell out of the air so it doesn't make noise when it lands. Mm. Everybody, That's the iconic bit for me from Inception. Yeah. Nick D's number two pick. And here, by the way, this is all like – this is great stuff, but I never – it's thrilling. It's shot well, but I never felt like it was much stunt work. Uh, Nick D picks Cliffhanger, and he says <laughs> – I remember the midair heist which kickstarts the plot in this movie as being really impressive. Oh, oh, he's not talking about the the fall off the rope. Right. Uh, one of the crooks even slides along a rope from one plane to another. Christopher Nolan tried and failed to top this moment in Dark Knight Rises, but the cliffhanger one is better. Okay, Nick, I apologize for calling into question the... Uh, Isn't still a ranger in that movie? Is he a park ranger, really? That's yeah. his job? I thought yeah, he was like, like a, a, a guide or something, but he's not really – he's a United States government employee, you're saying, Kelly. Kelly, when you're saying he's a civil servant. Yeah, his job's to catch people. Hmm. I don't know. We'll have to check that out. And they parodied it in Ace Ventura when nature calls, like he loses the squirrel and the perilous down the precipice. Can't yes. help you there, Kelly Wand. I've not seen that movie. Nick D's uh, number one pick is Fury Road, uh, and he says if he has to choose one stunt from that – it would be the moment when the motorcycles are jumping over the war machine, raining grenades down on it, huh. while Max and Furiosa sharpshoot them from inside the cab. All right, runners up. Bingus, what did, so you, you listened to the Die Hard commentary track? Yeah. Um, the thing I really wanted to find out is if that – how they did that fire hose thing where he ties the fire hose around himself, jumps off the building when it blows up, when the when the roof blows up, when Hans – blows up the roof. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that whole moment where he's unspooling the fire hose, which is a really cool moment when you really look at what the actor has to do in just that physical moment of unspooling the fire hose. And John McTiernan doesn't make mention of that. And then, uh, and then John McClane jumps up the roof of the building. But I was really curious because of the, um, that moment in the Burj Khalifa thing in uh, Mission Impossible uh, Ghost Protocol, where where Tom Cruise breaks into the build into the building from the outside by kicking through. Uh, Bruce Willis does the same thing, but swinging out, you know, because the that 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 um, fire hose thing like smacks up against the wall, and then he shoots his way into the in through. Oh yeah, yeah. That window, and then once he gets in there, I mean, it's a multi layered stunt because he gets in there, and then the Thing falls down and right. and just going to drag him out the window. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm. I just. I wanted to find out how they do that, but John McClane. I mean, not John McClane. John McTiernan. Sorry, um, can't be bothered to really talk about this stunt. Um, so that was really. That is where he named his character after himself, John McSomething. Come on. Uh, so I, I'm, and I really looked a lot for trying to figure that because I love that stunt so much. Um, but yeah, I couldn't even figure out how how in the world they did it. I, I don't know if you guys. I don't know if I've talked about this in a podcast. We even told you guys. I don't, do you guys know that I actually once had my own stuntman? What? True story. For Frank and Jesse. 
Yep. So I was doing a little like uh, it wasn't low budget. It actually had kind of quote unquote names in it. So it was like a medium budget uh, movie that was shot in Arkansas, where I'm from. Uh, it's how I got my SAG card. I had a little tiny part in this dopey Western. Um, and I have my character has to get shot in the head and then my body gets rolled in a river. Um, so when I get shot in the head and stuff like there, there was no stuntman there or anything. Uh, but they came up and they asked me, um, do you need someone to fall down for you? Like there, there was a crew of stuntmen on this, on this movie. And I guess this is how most movies work. And if a stuntman, like they have stuntmen m- matched to a particular like actor's height and build, uh, so from this crew of guys, they had picked one guy out that would be my stuntman. So when I get shot in the head, I'm supposed to fall backwards uh, on this little – it's like a ferry boat. It's not even a boat. It's a like a raft, a ferry that you drag across a river. Um, and so they were like, do you, do you need a stuntman to do the fall? And I thought that was absurd. And I was like, no, I'm fine. I'll, I'll fall. You know, Just shoot me in the head, and I'll just fall over. I'm okay with that. Um, and they're like, okay. Uh, so I'm supposed to get – I get shot in the head, and I just fall over. And I just, you know, sort of did what I thought would it would look like when you get shot in the head. And I remember the stuntman guy coming up to me and saying, man, that was really good. I thought you were going to, like, fall in the water. And I realized why they were going to have a stuntman do it is because it was a little tiny platform, and you really had to control your fall to not go in the water. <laughs> um, so I, I had my own stuntman, and I got some begrudging respect from him. But later, when they roll the body in the river... And I thought they were going to do me. For whatever reason, they would not let me do that. Like, this is winter in Arkansas. The water's super cold. They had this guy come up and lay the way that I had fallen. They tried to match it with, you know, continuity with the way that I fell over. And Roblo is actually the guy that shot me. They had Roblo come mm. up and, like, kick this guy in the water instead of me. Uh, and that was my stuntman. <laughs> was he thinking of you, though? Well, the guy had to act like me. He had to totally, the stuntman, right. totally had to, like, you know... How he had to go, I, ooh! <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he had to sound like me as well as look like me, yeah. Uh, that actually reminds me of... Oh, go ahead, Tom. Well, the, the funny part, though, is right before you know, before the fall, before the getting rolled in the river, and I, 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 I don't think this got used in the movie, uh, but I've certainly seen this effect before. Uh, when I get shot in the head, they had a guy standing right behind the camera uh, with a, a blow, a little tube... And a, a, a Dixie cup full of fake blood with peas in it. And he would put a pea in the tube and, like, try to blow it into my forehead. So I'm sitting there. You know, I do the last line, tough cowboy talk, like, I'm bringing you in, Jesse James, or whatever. And then this guy goes, and he, like, blows a pea at my face. Huh. Like, it's bouncing off my hat, and it's hitting me on the cheek and stuff. And I guess finally they got one they liked. But I was like, this, that, was more, that was the most dangerous thing that I did, like they could have put an eye out with that thing. I have to sit there with my face, you know, I have my eyes there, and this guy's like blowing a high velocity wet pee at me. Uh, <laughs> been on that day. <laughs> so yeah, so I had my own story. Well, that's a sad story, and it's that's how you got your SAG card by getting peas blown at you. By getting peas blown at me, and the, the tough part is I actually later get dragged out of the water. I'm supposed to be like a dead body, um, and they find my body and. One of the characters is supposed to get really mad because I'm his nephew, and he drags me out of the water. That's and says, a lot of peas. I'm going to get Jesse James for killing my nephew. Um, but for that scene, I had to lie there half in this cold water, half out of the cold water. Right. And they let me wear a wetsuit under my costume. Uh, your head's in the water. No, no, no. My body, in the water. my head out. Uh, uh. My, my lower half is still in the water. Yeah. Hmm. They didn't have the stuntman for that because, you know, they couldn't 
CG my face onto his body. They didn't have the technology back then, right. so I didn't have the luxury of a stuntman there. Plus, he was scared of the water. Yeah. All right, other runners up, gentlemen. Um, no. All right. One of my, one of my favorite runners up is, um, uh, but this is kind of a stunt mistake. Uh, but they kept it in the movie. Uh, this is one of my favorite stunts ever. It's almost made my list, but I thought it would violate the topic a little bit, so I didn't keep it. But it's a good runners-up. So this is from Lethal Weapon, which I watched again this week. And, man, I, I freaking love watching Lethal Weapon. I refuse to believe there are mistakes in Lethal Weapon. <laughs> There's a great mistake. And it, it's one of the first times I really remember going to see a movie and seeing a mistake like this. And um, and there's this stunt in the movie where um, there's this businessman who's about to jump off the building. He's about to commit suicide. And so um, this is when Mel Gibson, uh, when Martin Riggs and Dan- and Murtar are, are first becoming partners. And they show up at this, this scene where this dude, and the, the negotiator hasn't been there yet. There's nobody there yet. The, the, the fire department's all over the place. Um, and Riggs... You know, Mel Gibson's crazy suicidal character assures Danny Glover, no, I can take care of this. Don't worry about it. Uh, and he, so he goes up onto the roof to talk about, talk to the guy. Cause, you know, as you know, Riggs is also suicidal. Um, he's like, no, no, I know what it's like. It's Christmas. It's a silly season. Don't worry about it. Hey, ha- let's just have a cigarette. I'm going to get out here on the ledge with you. Don't worry about it. Let's just have a cigarette. And he puts a cigarette down on the like the pillar next to him. The guy reaches for the cigarette and um, Riggs like handcuffs them together. <laughs> They're up there on this ledge uh, on the top of this building, and the guy's like, "You're crazy, man!" And so yeah, he's Owen Wilson apparently, and um, and so. Riggs is like, yeah, hey, you want to jump? Do you want to? Do you want to? And so then <laughs> Riggs, Riggs goes, okay, we're jumping. And so Riggs makes them both jump off off the roof of this building. This is at the beginning of the movie. And as you see them jump, there's a, there's a shot shooting up at it. And you can tell that they're plastic handcuffs because they separate. <laughs> oh. And then they grab hands. <laughs> what? The the two because stuntmen. of that or just no the two stuntmen know that they're you know they they're plastic <laughs> they're supposed to be handcuffed and they're trying to right. cover for the fact that it broke right right so oh, they yeah, exactly yeah. They're trying to cover for it this is in the in the movie um, yeah. they grab hands and of course when they're jumping you they're, and this is not set up in any way they land on this huge air mattress right, you know right. thing that the uh, fire department has apparently put down anyway. Surprise! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a complete cheat, but the, the thing that I love and I just find so charming about that is, is you see the, you see the plastic handcuffs separate and you see those dudes grab each other's. <laughs> that makes me think, think it's of that horror movie I've showed you before. Uh, <laughs> it's a whole horror movie based on what if the smoke monster from Lost was like the monster in a horror movie. But, uh, and it attacks people and makes them zombies, whatever. I can't remember the name of it dark cloud or something i don't know uh but there's a scene where some actors are standing around after a fight scene and one of them raises his hand up to just brush the hair out of his eyes while the other one is like going to clap him on the shoulder and their hands like tangle up and they briefly like accidentally hold hands but they keep going ahead with the scene and and it's like awkward and they've accidentally like touched each other's hands uh and they keep that take for whatever reason uh i love that moment uh (laughs) Yeah, me too. 
All right, so Dark guess, Cloud. What it, no, what is that called? Uh, I couldn't remember. I don't know. Some terrible horror movie. What's the Holloway Devil Doll movie called? I mean, Evil Kid. Oh, what is that called? Uh, Whisper Dark Child. Whisper, maybe. Yeah, where Josh Holloway, it's like Ransom of Red Chief meets The Omen. What if movies were just called things like that? I would. Josh I, Holloway in. That would be like uh, Truth in Advertising. That, yeah. <laughs> it's like The Omen, kind of. Uh, all right, so Dingus, what do you got for us for next week's 3x3? Three three? What are we all doing? Right. Uh, uh, I apologize. This isn't as is isn't as sexy as this uh, stunt topic, because I really like this stunt topic. But um, this particular topic is uh, in response to Tom calling me out for something a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it made me kind of think. Uh, so I can't quite remember what he was talking about as a mistake made in a movie. I think it was like, if, if you can see something in the frame that you shouldn't see. Um, and I brought up uh, lens flares. I said, well, that's like when you see lens flares in a movie. I can't stand right, that. Right, I was talking about camera shadow, where the lighting is such that you see the shadow of the camera on one of the actors or on part of the set. Right. Uh, yeah. And so what was the it, famous one you brought up? Well, I don't know if it's famous, but I can't believe no one's noticed it. There's a shot in Close Encounters of the Third Kind when Barry is looking out the window at the at the at the UFOs, and the camera pushes in on him, and he's looking out of a windowsill, and you clearly see this square shadow of the camera superimposed on the windowsill. And you know, Steven Spielberg, come on, you've already made right. some amazing movies. How do you let that pass? You should have just made the ship look like a camera. But it is like, you know, Dingus, it's, it's a different kind of thing. But, like, lens flare is basically something that only exists when you're looking through a camera. Like, right. they're both instances of saying, hey, there's a camera here. Lens flare, they do it intentionally. I think camera shadow is a mistake. You, you should never use that take. Yeah. Well, lens flare drives me crazy because it, it, it basically says there's a camera here. Yeah. But what I liked – in you calling me out was that one is a mistake and one is a stylistic choice. Uh, there's a reason why that cinematographer convinced the director or the director asked for it, or they kept that take of the, of, of lens flare in particular. Um, and so what I decided to do as a challenge is decide, say, well, what are, how do we figure out what are our favorite instances of that? are and why do you think the director chose to keep that take uh in particular if it was just convenience or whatever so these are your three favorite uh and this is going to be a little bit difficult i think um these are your three favorite instances of lens flare jesus christ yeah i know sorry I don't I know what to tell you. I never were, noticed these things. I did not know you were going to be that on the nose, Dingus. Like yeah, I thought he was just going to go with, oh, things the director left in that are mistakes. And you, nope, and I'm why going you specifically with lens flare because every time I see it in a movie, I go, why did you do that? And when Tom said it a couple of weeks ago when he said, you know, that's a stylistic choice. You have to give that a break. All right. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> yeah, this is on me. You so Dingus, yourself. Are we, are we taking any particular directors off the table, say? No, no, no. You can keep all directors on the table. Okay. Interesting. If you want well, to do all I'll... Steven Spielberg, go for it. Uh, no, I'm thinking of someone else. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. We'll, we'll get to that next Gary week. Gary Marshall's really into him. I think it's how can the listeners tell us their favorite instances of lens flare? <laughs> I think we'll get one. Um, and our one listener <laughs> can I steal like, it? Send us in, uh, can send it into uh, three. Uh, it's our our email address is three by three at quarter to three dot com and that's spelled number three the letter X the number three at 
quarter3.com spelled out. So please do send in your your uh, the one of you who is going to send in something. Please do send it in. Uh, we love reading your uh, email submissions. We do. Actually, yeah, we we are deeply yeah. appreciative, I and mean, we have a regular group of you guys that do it. We love when you participate. The rest of you get in here too. We want to hear from yeah. you all as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 as Thomas said many times, if you only have one, send one in. You don't have to send three. Exactly. One, send two. It it doesn't matter. We love reading. Anything you guys send in, seriously. The, the pick of three, the three, that's our job. We're professionals. We don't expect that necessarily from you. Just give us what you can. It's, you know, we've trained many years for this, by the way. Yeah. It's not something that anybody can just do <laughs> off the cuff. This, no. Yeah, as Kelly Wan can attest, I mean, this has been a long, difficult process to reach this level where we can come up with three for each pick. If you got one, we want to know what it is. Send it in. Kelly Wan, why don't you tell the listeners what we're seeing next week? Next week, we're seeing Straight Out of Vancouver. Nope. Try again, Kelly Wand. We're seeing Straight Out of Martha Marcy. All right, Kelly Wand, let's see if third time is a charm. What are we seeing <laughs> next week? Straight Out of Cap Compton. Well, you got most of it right, yeah. So we'll see Straight Out of Compton. Uh, join us for a discussion of that. Uh, I'm actually very much looking forward to seeing that. We mentioned it briefly yeah. last week on the podcast. I think we're all psyched to find out, you know, what's the fuss with this. And uh, Yeah, so... We want to champion it so it makes more money, too. Really, we really it's do. It's such an underdog, underdog right? and we feel, you know, we want to support small indie films right. that are struggling, so we're definitely going to uh, There's do good white people for the box yeah. office is straight out of Compton. Universal's right. had a really yeah. difficult year, by the way. Uh, yeah. yeah, I feel so, bad for them. We just, we really do, yeah. All right, so join us for, for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Motlintuski. It's Christian Moroski. That's exactly how I pronounce it. And we had Kelly Wand. Hang on, Seaman Beaumont. We're going for a ride. So funny thing is, I, I like looked up on YouTube, like what are other well-known Rick Springfield songs? <laughs> kind of aren't they? Like I found a few, and I was like, I don't know that song. I don't know this song. I, 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 was he posted by on his looks? What was the one? I mean, what was the one? Yeah, one, one. No, this one. Like, there's something Twitch. called Human Touch that vaguely remembered. There was something called, um, I don't remember the names of them. Hard to hold. <laughs> I don't, I don't. He's no, like, Billy Joel, for instance. Like, if you, if you think, what's the quintessential Billy Joel song? There's, there's you know, there's any number of choices. Girl. That would be your pick, Kelly Wand? Really? The worst of all Billy Joel songs. It really is, Kelly Wand. Yeah, I'm really disappointed. I don't understand what this song's about. Well, Dingus, I've decided if we got mashed up together genetically, we'd look like Taylor Lautner. You've alienated the customer. I need you to satisfy and delight the customer. Fuck the customer.